If you will, take your Bibles and join me this morning in Romans chapter 12. And, uh, you know, when, when you've done COVID as long as we have and you, you run out of, uh, you kind of get into a, a rut with certain things, we do have child care for anybody that's not in grade school. And if you want to take advantage of that child care, then you can go out. And if you go out and into the gym doors and go into the gym, you'll see two doors directly in front of you. If you'll take the door uh, on the left at the, at the end of the gym, uh, you will find child care there. Um, and again, that's for anybody that's uh, not in grade school. Well, for the rest of us, if you will, uh, turn to Romans chapter 12 with us this morning. We have for uh, several months now uh, been working our way through uh, Romans 12, um, eventually uh, to find our end at Romans 16. So, in um, kind of what started this whole sermon series is that we typically will preach through uh, an entire book of, uh, of the Bible. Um, but in this case, we, we picked up in chapter 12... Uh, to preach these last several chapters of uh, the book of Romans uh, as a means of um, kind of helping ourselves know how to respond as a Christian in the days in which we live. Uh, we, we live in a day that uh, through the means of social media uh, that we have, whether it be Facebook or Twitter or whatever social media account, uh, you just see a lot of what I would call poor Christianity. You see a lot of Christians attacking each other. Um, you see a lot of mudslinging going on. You see a lot of name calling, just a lot of negativity and, and, and nothing that really uh, rises to the level of being Christian. And so back in August, I, I thought it would uh, be beneficial for us that if we took some time and walked through verse by verse these last five chapters of Romans to kind of get our minds right and get our hearts right um, uh, in how that we should respond to what we see going on in the world today and how we should respond to, uh, to others. And so that's kind of why we are where we are in our uh, preaching and teaching of the Bible. And so today uh, we arrive at verse 14 of Romans chapter 12. The verses will be on the screen. You also, hopefully, you were able to pick up uh, one of the handouts, and it'll have the verses because we will, if you're a note taker, we will roll through this uh, fairly uh, quickly. Romans twelve fourteen says this, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. There's a popular maxim in our world today that says, Your actions speak so loud that I can't hear what you're saying. Your actions speak so loud that I can't hear what you're saying. Our text today calls us to an action that not, that not only speaks loudly, it also gives validation to our message. To our message. Not the message I'm preaching, the message that you're preaching, the, the message of the gospel, the message of Christianity. And that message is simply, simply this, that the God of heaven and earth seeks to reconcile himself to sinful humanity. That's our message. We, we have no other message than that message, that 
God in the form of Christ came to earth, clothed himself in humanity to do what? To reconcile God and man. Why? Because they're enemies. Man had declared uh, his uh, uh, war on God all the way back in Genesis 3 when our first parents decided that God was withholding something from, from them or keeping something good for them or they bought into the lie of Satan and war broke out. And even in Romans chapter 5, verse 10, the Bible calls those who are unrepentant sinners enemies of, of God. And so reconciliation is when enemies become friends. And so Christ comes to reconcile sinful humanity to himself, and he has created this body of believers called a church, and a church is supposed to go into the community and into the extended community and then into the world to preach this message of reconciliation. His message becomes more believable as our behavior reflects its teachings. I told the Wednesday night Bible study group that uh, DC Talk back in the day had a song that started out. It said, the single greatest cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. This is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. The, uh, the world is looking for Christians whose lives reconcile themselves to its message. Romans chapter 10, verse 14 says, How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe on him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? I don't want you to hear me saying this morning that evangelism is simply something that you live out. That's part of evangelism. Evangelism, as much as the way we live our lives, is anything, but it's not that by itself. Why? Because Paul clearly has already clearly taught us that people get saved by hearing the gospel, not by seeing the gospel. Nobody ever got saved by seeing your life, but hey, guess what? There's a lot of people that have uh, uh, strong doubts, <laughs> strong doubts about whether the Bible's true because of your life. However, our message finds greater traction when accompanied with a corresponding behavior. When, when our behavior and our message reconcile themselves together, do we create a powerful testimony that gives us an opportunity to speak truth into people's lives? No doubt, first century Christianity grew as rapidly as it did because of this manifested truth. Often believers were not allowed to preach, especially in great and large meetings. It was, the life of, it was the life of the believer that had such an impact that it literally shook the ancient world. The reason why we see the, the spread of Christianity like we do in the book of Acts is because we not only see the proclamation of the gospel, but we also see the practice of the gospel. Most would agree that today's teaching is hard. <laughs> It's good to see you, but this is, this is a hard day to show up to church. This is not one of those make-you-feel-good kind of sermons. But it sure will make you like Jesus. It may not make you feel good right now, but it will make you eventually feel like Jesus. 
I look like Jesus if you live it. Today's teaching, listen, it is not hard, it's impossible. It's not hard, it's, it's absolutely impossible. A natural person may practice certain aspects of this teaching, but they cannot, they cannot fully live out the spirit of this teaching. What we are being called to live, listen, it is supernatural. Can I, can I, can I share something with you? Every teaching of the Bible is supernatural. <laughs> the Bible says it was written. The Bible says it was written as men were carried along by the Spirit. Not people, not men randomly writing down what they want to write down. Men writing as carried along by the Spirit. Supernatural. It requires a divine nature. I want to ask you a question. Do, do you really want to experience God's blessing in your life? The most common phrase that I hear today, and it's my least common phrase, and if you say it, that's okay. I, I just don't personally like it. You know, have a blessed day. How are you? I'm blessed. And that's good. But I, I, I would dare say much of that is surface and trivial, and uber shallow. I'm not even sure you can drown an ant in that. That's how shallow it is. Not that you could really drown an ant anyway. They're, you can't drown those guys. But it's just kind of a picture there to put in your mind of how not deep that is. You see, if you and I really want to be blessed by God, if we truly want to live a blessed life, he only grants those blessings, that kind of life, to those people who are obedient. Who are obedient. John 13, 17. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. How about that? If you know these things, what? The teachings of Jesus. Blessed are you if you do them? Or some translations say, happy are you that do them. Only in obedience can we enjoy the benefits of our great salvation. What I find interesting there too is that a lot of people are not experiencing the blessings of God and therefore they're blaming God for, for their lack of blessing in their life. And when you really drill down into it, what you find is there's no blessing there because there's no obedience there. Or there's obedience to whatever they want to be obedient to and, and not obedient to the things they don't want to be obedient to. You know, Thomas Jefferson had his own Bible. It's called the Jeff Jeffsonian Bible. And uh, do, do the research on it. What's, what's interesting about Jefferson's copy of the Bible is, is that he went through and cut out all the parts that he didn't like and left the rest. Really what Jefferson cut out is all the stuff that God was telling him to do that he didn't like. Well, who wouldn't want a Bible like that? Right? But that's not the Bible that we get. That's not the Christianity that we are brought into. Today's text is tailored to teach us. Here's the big idea this morning. If somebody called you 
tonight at midnight and woke you up out of a dead sleep and said, hey, what did the preacher preach about today? This is, you, could, you could answer it with this statement. The mercies of God empower persecuted Christians to speak good and not evil. That's not hard to remember. The mercies of God empower persecuted Christians to speak others good and not evil. So let's pray, and then we'll finish the sermon. Father, open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things in your word. Amen. Three simple truths this morning. Number one is Christianity creates persecution. Christianity creates persecution. So when you, when you sign on the dotted line, when you, when you make that profession of faith, when you go through the waters of baptism and, and do all of the outward workings of salvation, here's what you're automatically signing up for. Future conflict. Future persecution. Christianity creates conflict, creates persecution. Now, the Scripture doesn't hide this from us. The Scripture clearly tells us this right at the beginning. And not only does it, not only does it pre-warn us about this conflict or persecution, but it also gives us everything that we need and how to face it. It does not mislead us, and it does not try to entice us with false promises. The prosperity gospel, which is the most popular gospel today, is nothing more than a panacea. Now, say, now that you are a Christian, everything is, will be wonderful, and everything is going to be all right, and your life's never going to have any issues, and your kids are going to be obedient, and you're not going to have any marital issue, and you'll never have any job issues, and your finances will always be in good shape. Scripture tells us the worst and tells us how to face it. As I stated earlier, only those who possess a new nature and a divine nature can get on living the Christian life. Persecution should only surprise us when it's not occurring rather than when it is occurring. I find it interesting that Christians freak out when they get under some persecution as though it is some kind of massive surprise that that's happening. We need people that are surprised when they're not being persecuted, not when they're not, rather than when they are. Paul told Timothy this. Watch, watch this series of verses that are going to come up on the screen. Indeed, all who desire to live, what? A godly life in Christ Jesus, what? Might be persecuted? Possibly could be persecuted. Hey, no, it's going to happen. Look at the next verse. John 13, 16. Not 3, 16. 13, 16. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Watch verse 17. Well, verse 17 is not there. Okay. Maybe I've got it here. No, I don't. So, again, if, if, if Christ is persecuted, what does he say? A servant is not greater than his master, so if it happens to the master, 
then it's going to happen to him. Matthew 10, 25. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have, if they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those of his household? So again, if this happens to our master, our leader, our teacher, how much more will it happen to us? You see, the world only persecutes true Christians. You can be a church member and not be persecuted. The world does not persecute church members. Why? Because I know a, there's a lot of people that are church members that aren't true Christians. They don't live godly lives. They don't bear the, they don't bear the fruit of righteousness in their life. Hey, let, let, think, think with me for a second. Do you, do you remember the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel? Everybody pretty familiar with that story? So you got the three Hebrew boys and then Daniel. And basically in the opening book of Daniel, uh, the king comes to him, Nebuchadnezzar, and says, look, you know, you guys can uh, pray. This is early on in the book. Daniel later gets thrown in jail for praying because they get the law changed. But the king ultimately says, look, if you want to do your Jesus thing in private, that's okay. We won't say anything, but just keep the Jesus thing private. It's when you bring Jesus out into the public that you get thrown into the fiery furnace. You see, church people are okay with just coming into church and doing their Jesus thing in the church and keeping the Jesus thing quiet. And they might raise their hands out here, but they never raise their hands for a testimony out in public. They may sing loudly about Jesus in the house of God, but they won't sing about Jesus loudly out in uh, the community or out amongst other people. So what it is is that church people are good about doing church in church. They just don't take church outside of church. True Christians are the same way in the house of God as they are out in public. And listen, and when you take church, when you take real church out into the real world, there's friction. If, you're, if you like to be liked, you can't be a Christian. I like to be liked. I don't like people to say bad stuff, but, but they do. And people will say bad stuff about you. If you take your faith out into the world. When Christ's life is manifested in your life, John 15, 18 through 20 happens. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. This is Jesus talking. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they keep my word, they will, all, they will also keep yours. And listen, Jesus went about the... Go ahead, let's put the next point up. Skip, skip the next verse. Go ahead, pass that verse. I'll come back to it. Conflict should come from our practice, not our persona. Can I explain that to you for a second, what I mean by that? Persecution should come because you're living like Jesus, not a jerk. That's what I mean by that. Some of you get persecuted because you're a jerk. 
Because you don't know how to say hard things in a loving way. You don't know how to speak truth and love. You're just a jerk. It's plain and simple. Jesus went about, the, he went about, according to Acts 10, 38, the countryside doing all manner of good, healing people, feeding people, taking care of people's needs. And yet, Jesus was still hated by people. Now, don't get me wrong. He's loved by people, too. And that's something else. If everybody loves you, that's not good because you're not being truthful somewhere. If everybody hates you, you're a jerk. You're a jerk. You need to change your attitude. Neither one of those is good. Jesus is balanced in that we see people that love Jesus and people that hate Jesus. Why? Because Jesus lives like Jesus. And you and I, if we, if we live like Jesus, there will be people that will love us and people that will hate us. I, I love the fact that Samaritan's Purse, um, whom uh, was, has been working over in the Fultondale area, I know Elise went over and joined up with those guys and worked with them. I love the fact that they're always spending millions of dollars in all kinds of humanitarian relief, you know, building houses, repairing houses, giving people food, uh, water, all kinds of, you know, toiletries, whatever it is that people need. But yet, they are very out front about what they believe, are they not? I mean, they're, 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 there's a certain belief system that they have adopted, and guess what? All kind of people have come against them and persecuted them because uh, they don't believe that same-sex relationships are natural. They believe that life begins at conception. And all kinds of people have attacked this wonderful organization because of what they believe in light of all the good that they do. During COVID, they set up... Do you remember at the height of... Not the height, but right kind of when COVID was building in the spring and they were setting up these hospitals, these huge tent hospitals, and people were like, oh, no, no, we don't... The government needs to stay away from them. They're homophobic. They're this. They're that. And here they are willing to bring in, not ask for government assistance. They're saying, we'll supply the doctors, and we'll supply the money, and we'll supply everything. All we need you to do is bring us the people. And yet, people say, no, we don't want to get hooked up with those folks because of their beliefs. That's, that's genuine persecution. They were willing to treat anybody of any nationality, uh, of any sexual orientation, any of that. They, they weren't refusing those people. They were willing to treat those people. They just simply had a belief about what is right and wrong, and they were, they were persecuted for it. They were persecuted for it. Persecution should come because we're living like Jesus. First Peter chapter 4 says, uh, If you are insulted for the, for the name of Christ, you are blessed because of the Spirit of, uh, of glory and of God rest upon you. But let no one, none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, 
but let him glorify God. Do you see what he's saying? Suffer for doing Christ's likeness. Don't, you know, you can't go out and steal and get thrown in jail and say, well, they just treat they're doing that because I'm a Christian. And you say, well, that's kind of absurd. Yeah, that's the whole point of it. If you act like a jerk, you should get treated like one. Persecution also does something else. It confirms our faith. It confirms our faith. Do you really want to be like Jesus? I mean, I hear that all the time. You know, you remember the, the bracelets that were so popular? What would Jesus do? Which is basically what? I want to do what Jesus does. I want to be like Jesus. Well, listen to what Jesus said. <laughs> but all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. Here's what Jesus is saying. You want to be like me? Expected to get treated like I got treated. Matthew 10, And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. There's no easy path towards Christ-likeness. No easy way to be like Christ. It may sound grand, but the process of getting there is anything but. Point number two, Paul reinforces Christ's command. I won't read all these verses, but Matthew chapter 5, uh, verse 43 through 48, 48 is, Jesus com- is Jesus teaching uh, on the Sermon on the Mount. And basically he says, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your fathers, father who is in heaven. What is Jesus saying? Do you really want to know if you're in my family? Love your enemies and do good to those who persecute you. Do, do, do good to those who seek to do evil to you. This command is clear. There, there, there's none of this sitting around trying to figure out, I really wonder what he meant about that. Now, now, what about this situation, or what about that situation? It troubles me when Christians start getting down into very clear commands of Jesus, and we, we start wanting to, to try to understand, well, I wonder how that applies here, right? It applies everywhere. Enemy is an enemy. Someone who is against you is against you. Jesus says, love them as well as love your neighbor. So what is he saying? Love everyone. But not this, you know, silly, you know, soupy, kind of sugary kind of love that we, that we talk about. I mean love that's got some hustle behind it. Love that's got muscle. Love that's got uh, uh, sacrifice behind it. Love that's got some genuine action following it. The command is clear. What does he say? Bless and do not curse. Our natural reaction is what? Retaliation, not to be redemptive. We might pray, uh, maybe you've heard this word, maybe you haven't. We're, we're not to pray imprecatory prayers. Those are found back in the book of Psalms. Those are God, I call them the uh, God get them prayers. You know, like God, you know, curse them with bulls, you know, may their crops fail. Uh, you know, may they, you know, uh, you know may, may their uh, finances uh, dry up, whatever it might be. This, this is not a prayer of blessing. It's a prayer of cursing. It's a prayer of retaliation. God does not want us to pray 
prayers of cursing down on people. He wants us to pray prayers of blessings down on people. He wants us to start speaking them good. That's literally what the word bless means. It's where we get our word eulogy. It literally means to speak them good. Why speak them good? Why do this? Persecution must be met with prayer because it is how our Savior responded to persecution. How did Jesus respond to those that were persecuting him? He didn't curse them. He prayed for them. He spoke them good. He did good towards them. There has never been a greater force to move men into Christianity than the forgiveness of those who persecute. How about Proverbs 18.21? Look at what it says. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it eat their fruits. You never hear that verse when, when it's talking about blessing uh, your enemies. Yeah, the tongue has great power. And God says use it to bless people, in particular those who are trying to overtake you with evil. Not only does it mean start speaking them good, but it means to stop speaking down evil. James and John were the sons of thunder. And in Luke 9, chapter 9, verse 51 through 56, there's a story that's told where they've gone into a Samaritan town and everybody has rejected Jesus. They, they, they just don't want to have anything to do with him. And all of a sudden, the sons of thunder get upset. Their, 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 butt, their blood begins to boil. And so they go to Jesus and they say, Hey, look, this is my paraphrase. Can we pull an Elijah? Can we do Old Testament style? Can we call fire down from heaven and obliterate these people because they have rejected you? And Jesus rebukes them for their attitude. He re rebukes them for their proposed behavior. Listen, you and I, when, when we are persecuted, when, we, when people do wrong and when evil comes against us, our, our natural inclination is to act like James and John. But Jesus says, no, I want you to act like me. I want you to act like me. Even as one who has experienced the Lord's mercy, we must fight remaining sin, the remaining uh, sins uh, of retaliation. And yet, okay, listen, this is important. Resisting retaliation just doesn't go far enough. This isn't, you know, you, you clench your teeth, you, you know, you ball up your fist, but you resist everything within you to retaliate. That's not what it means. That doesn't, that doesn't nearly go far enough. Some will say, I will not retaliate. I'll just endure the persecution. Again, this attitude falls short of Scripture. The spirit of the teaching is we must positively desire the good of those who persecute us. <laughs> I mean, come on. Jesus, really? I mean, <laughs> that's how far you want us to go? I mean, it's just not enough that we can just sit there and endure it and take it and keep our mouth shut, though we can think of a million ways to retaliate. Jesus is saying, look, the spirit of what I'm teaching here is that not, not that you don't retaliate, and it's not that you don't uh, 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 you know, sit there and have some kind of resistance and still plot in, in, their, in your mind their demise. It literally means that we have to shift to this point in our lives, and we can do this with the help of the Holy Spirit, 
to where we are genuinely speaking them good. We are genuinely desirous of them to be blessed. We are genuinely desirous of them to have good in their life, even though they may be bringing ultimate evil into our life. This makes no sense, and it should not to those who know not Christ. However, for those of us that are Christians, there should be within our new nature a resounding amen. One more reason to stop speaking um, evil against those who are doing evil is that God is using this for your good. Now look, you can't, you can't love Romans 8.28 only at certain times. If that's true, and we know that those who love God, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, if that's true, then it's true in all situations. Go to the next verse, because I want you to see something. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to what? Be conformed to the image of his Son. Listen, God works all things together for our good. What is your good? For you to be like Christ. Amen? Isn't that that what's best for you is that you start living and acting more and more every day like Jesus? Could there be anything better for you to have? Anything better for you to mature into? Then if you're going to do it, then listen, there's nothing better than persecution to help shape you into what Jesus is like. Why? Because you get to step inside of Jesus' shoes and get to experience what Jesus experienced on some level. And guess what? It molds you and shapes you into it. And listen... Watch this verse. Go to, go to the Hebrews 5, 8, 9. That probably ought to be the verse on that sheet that everybody goes home and just thinks about for the next seven days. Although he was a son, this is talking about Jesus, he learned, watch, he learned obedience through what? What he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. What is that, what is that saying? Jesus had to endure what he endured. Why? Why did he he have to do that? To learn obedience. So that through what he suffered and being made perfect, he could become the source of eternal life, eternal salvation. Listen, Jesus went through it so that you and I could be saved. You and I go through it because we are saved. The last point, third point, third and final point, the command is, is without condition. Notice that there's no if-then if words. If this happened, then this happens. It's a command solely placed on the believer to live regardless. Jesus is not asking you whether you want to live this or not. He's saying if you're really a Christian, this is the way you're going to live. You, you understand, this is not optional. If you believe that this is an optional part of Christianity, you have a Christianity that's not of the Bible. It's not real. It's just not. That's not because I know more than you do. I'm just telling you, it's what the Bible teaches. This is, this is what happens to Christians. Now, again, I'm not going to go into all the details of what persecution could look like. It's probably not for you going to be strung up or beat up or uh, shot or 
you know, it's not going to be like our uh, Egyptian brothers and sisters who, you know, six or seven years ago were taken to a beach and, and ISIS, you know, slit their throats. It's, not going to, it's probably not going to be something that bold or, or that uh, horrendous. It could be, um, you, know, ost- you know, being ostracized out of a particular group. It could be uh, that people, you know, talk about you. It could be, maybe, maybe it could be a, something as severe as a, a loss of job because you, you took a stand for what you believe in or, or, or whatever it might be. It, it's probably going to come in, in a non-physical way. But nonetheless, if you, listen, I'm telling you, if you live out your faith in this world right now, I promise you, you may not get beat up physically, but you will get beat up in other ways. You will get attacked. There's no no way around it. The only way around it is to keep your mouth shut and and not say anything. If such a behavior is to be produced, we we must follow two considerations. So look, I got... I got six minutes here to, to knock this out. So here, here, here's the end in six minutes. There's only two ways this is going to happen. There's only two ways you can walk out this door this morning and, and put this teaching into practice. Are you ready? Two ways. Number one is, uh, or you've got to follow two considerations. Number one is you must consider how, how they treated Christ. You must consider how uh, Christ was treated. I mean, excuse me, how Christ has treated us. Also how he was treated. But how he has treated us. Who is us? Who is us? Well, how about, how about I run off some verses here? Romans 5.10. If while we, were sent, uh, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by his death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. So we were enemies of God. Ephesians 4.18, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. So we were, in, we were in darkness, alienated, because we were ignorant and we had hard hearts. Not a good picture so far. One more verse, Titus 3.3. 3, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating others. I, I could go on for a while painting our portrait that is not pretty. That's who you were before you met Christ. So what was there to recommend you to God? Nothing. God did not curse us because of what we were. Instead, He loved us in spite of what we were. This is how God dealt with you when you were as the people that are persecuting you are now. Let me ask you this. What if, what if God dealt with us like James and John wanted to deal with people? We, we all would have been torched a long time ago. We would be a pile of dust somewhere back in the past. Aren't you glad that God deals with you according to Jesus? Not according to James and John? So we have to see how Christ has treated us. In spite of all of our persecution of God, He still loved us. And then we must also understand the true condition of those that are persecuting us. So we need to remember how Christ has treated us, people that had persecuted Christ. I told the the life group this morning, listen, 
if those people that cried out, crucify him, crucify him, and we're not far away from Easter, listen, you were there. You weren't there physically, but your sin was already there, right in, in step, right in harmony with those crying out, crucify, saying, crucify him. Why? You persecuted Christ because you're a sinner. Your sin put him on the cross. Your sin led to his death. And yet, look how he's treated you. And now, we must understand the true condition of those that are persecuting us. 2 Corinthians 4, 3-4 through 4 says, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Listen, people that are doing you wrong, remember, why are they doing you wrong? Because you're living for Christ. I'm not trying to make excuse for people's actions, but the Bible does want us to, it does want us to understand why people do what they do, and that is because they are being, they, they are doing nothing but acting within their nature. They are slaves of Satan, they are slaves of sin. Satan is their God. Uh, uh, they, they are at the uh, beck and call of all of their passions and lust and desires and anger and hate and envy and all those things that come with not being a Christian. And listen, they literally are being pushed around and dictated. Their behavior is being dictated to by their sin. Those people that cried out to, and, and said... Crucify him. How did, Je how did Jesus help us to understand why they said crucify him? What did he say on the cross? Father, forgive them. What? See, y'all already know it. What am I up here for? They don't know what they're... Yes, they did. They said crucify him. Jesus is getting behind the why they said crucify him. Because the God of this world has blinded their minds. Why? Because they're captives to sin. Why? Because they're under the rule and the authority of Satan. They are only acting the way they know how to act. Why? Because they are taking their marching orders from their master. From their nature. That's why we as Christians don't act that way. Why? Because we got a new master. We got a new nature. Therefore, we got a new way of living. So when people treat us that way, listen, we can feel compassion for them while they are doing evil to us because we know they don't really know what they are doing. They are only responding to us the way that Satan has always responded to Jesus. And you say, well, that was Jesus, and I'm not Jesus, so I don't think I can really pull this deal off I won't read it to you but in Acts it's in your notes you need to you need to look at old Stephen there he preaches this beautiful sermon he's not even a preacher he's just an old deacon young deacon he wasn't old he was a young deacon and he's preaching and he gets to the end of his sermon and I mean he's laying it on he's, he's telling them the truth and they start screaming and they start reacting violently towards him and, and they, they take him, and they begin to stone him. They begin to stone him. And Stephen looks up to heaven. 
This is not Jesus. Listen, listen to his words. Last verse. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Hmm. That's kind of got a familiar ring to it, does it not? Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Why? Why? They do not know what they are doing. And the, that, that uh, particular passage says that there was a young man there who was holding the cloaks of the people doing the stoning. And anybody remember what his name was? Saul, who later becomes Paul. And Paul gives this testimony about, when, about his uh, uh, Damascus Road experience when God knocked him off his horse with a blinding light. And he's telling old King Agrippa, he said that the Lord said to me, Paul, why do you kick against the goads? You know what he's saying? Paul, why do you continue to resist my goodness? Why do you continue to resist my, my offer of salvation? And listen, I believe with all my heart that that goad that Paul was kicking against was the fact that he never could shake the words of Stephen at that stoning that said, Lord... Do not hold this sin against them. Why? They don't know what they're doing. They are being led by another. They are under the sway and the captivity of the evil one. I truly believe it was the, not only the preaching of Stephen, but even more so the, the response of Stephen to persecution that, led a, that, that was a means that God used to bring about the salvation of probably the greatest Christian that's ever lived, the Apostle Paul. And so I'll leave you with this last thought this morning. This did not make it into the notes. This, this was like a, a 12th hour ad. Consider Christ and their condition. This is how you're going to do it. You're going to consider Christ and their condition and you will be empowered to bless and not curse. If you consider Christ and what he has done for you and, and how he has treated you, and you will consider their condition, you will be empowered to bless and not to curse. Will you bow your head with me this morning? Father, um, some of us need to repent because we face some persecution, but it's just because we're jerks. And we need to repent of being a jerk. And some of us are facing persecution because we really are living out our faith. And it is, it is, it is causing difficulty within our family. It's causing difficulty on our job. It's causing difficulties in other areas of our life. Um, maybe we've lost friends because of it. Maybe we've been ostracized out of certain segments of society because of it. There, there's, a, there's just a lot there. And I pray that those that are experiencing persecution because of their faith would just rejoice this morning that they, that they can be considered in, in, in your company, that they are being treated like Christ, our Savior, was treated. And, and we shouldn't be disappointed by this and we shouldn't be discouraged by this but we should be encouraged because you are going to work all of this out together for our good you you are using this to shape us and to mold us into the image uh, uh, of, of your son christ jesus and father for those of us that really struggle with this fa father for those of us that we're, we're more retaliators we'd rather fight 
And then there's others that would just rather fly. We, we want to kind of run from it. We don't say anything. We just kind of endure it. But we don't, we don't pray for the welfare, the well-being, or, or we don't pray blessing, or we don't speak well of those that are, uh, that are uh, persecuting us. Then, Father, I just pray this morning that you would just, just, by your Holy Spirit, just bring conviction into our hearts so that we might repent and so that we might get our lives lined up with you. So that in the days ahead, uh, it won't be easy, and there'll probably still be some failure in our life as, as we move towards obedience in this area. But Father, our heart will beat to honor you and obey you and to, to do exactly what your word says, and that is to, to bless and do not curse. And then Father, my last prayer this morning, if there's some or more than, or, or there's many in our midst that just simply are realizing that they're not Christians for whatever reason. Maybe they have an empty profession of faith. Um, maybe they just know that there's never been a time where they put their faith in you. That in these moments that you give us together here at the end of our service, that you would just sweetly convict sinners of their sin and bring those who don't know you to faith in you, to those who do know you, to a deeper walk with you, and to those who are being persecuted, I pray that you would sweetly encourage them with the words that you have spoken to us through your word this morning. In Christ's name, amen. We want you to stand, sing with us this morning. If you